kills, the more he transcends. Go home now! He's the essence of evil. We're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar roaming the streets of Haddonfield once again. Uh, I am your co-host, Mike One, co-host also Mike, in a moment as we both don our William Shatner masks and we review, finally, the long-anticipated Halloween kills, Michael. So I never realized that they shaved the sideburns of that William Shatner mask. That makes it the creepiest right there no <laughs> sideburns off the mask is why william shatner's bare face on sideburns that's what's the, that's the scariest thing about that mask in my opinion never mind so, the white face never mind the hair never mind the features no sideburns in the cinematic world that's michael myers just sitting down at a table and like actually taking off the sideburns of captain kirk's face there yeah i think more villains of franchise movies should just have no sideburns and we'd all be <laughs> afraid. I think that's a secret sauce. I think Kanye's working on that with his new haircut that he just uh, introduced to the world a couple days ago. There you go. Like he just uh, put his head through a meat grinder there. But uh, okay, yeah, that's uh, that's what we're talking about. And we, we know we're dealing with an aesthetically pleasing baddie as we're going to talk about as well. As we've talked about throughout this franchise, uh, Mike, Mike and Oscar does Halloween. This is going to be yet another entry into that series as we have done the rewatch series of the entirety of of the Halloween franchise uh, that's available for you in a handy playlist right now on our SoundCloud if you want to go look that up. This will be the latest entry into that. This was a movie that was supposed to come out last year. Uh, we finally get it. It was much anticipated as every Michael Myers movie is uh, for us. Maybe one Mike more than the other here, but I've <laughs> Dragged you along, and, and we're, we're finally here. We finally get to talk about David Gordon Green's latest. Yeah, we had a lot of fun in our prep episode going through some critical reactions and heckling, really like two guys in a balcony like we've always been in this show. <laughs> Stadler Muppets. and Waldorf, yeah. Heckling those critics, and you know the the reception has gone down. Let's be honest. The forty two meta score held, but the thirty nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes on one hundred sixty nine nice reviews. That's not nice. Uh, anti uh, sixty nine there. So that is a little scary for us going into this movie watching last weekend. Seventy one percent audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, 2,500 ratings, 6.1 out of 10 IMDb audience rating on 23,000 votes, Michael. Mm. The receptions went down. However, everybody was speculating about the box office projecting uh, you know, 30-something million. But what did it make, Mike? What did it make this past weekend at the box office? As always, I'll be the eternal optimist and focus only on the positive when it comes to, <laughs> if you've listened to us, you know that to be true. Yeah, it's $50.4 million domestically. Awesome. And remember, this is a movie that opened up simultaneously on Peacock as well, day and date. It went from $4.9 million on the Thursday night screenings, 22.8 Friday, $17.3 million Saturday, wrapping up with a $9.2 million Sunday. That's over. That's going to be north of fifty million dollars domestically, as well as the five point four million it grossed in thirteen other markets. Uh, so it had over a fifty-five million dollar worldwide gross. 
comparable to 2018's Halloween. Uh, that opened at 76 million domestically, so we're doing about two thirds. I had projected this to do around like 38 million, about half of what uh, the 2018's entry did. So that overshoots its 50% mark. Uh, I, I think that's that's good news, especially when you take into consideration again that this was available on Peacock for people to watch within their homes. Right. This is a major subscriber play for Peacock Premium alliteration. This is why uh, it was moved there. We saw Universal do well on PVOD, one of the first companies to do that. And now they take a major Hollywood blockbuster, really a domestic blockbuster, Mike, because Halloween in 2018 did not do great overseas. It made a third more domestically than it did internationally. So Peacock is basically trying to get 5 million extra subscribers, 10 million extra subscribers. If you, you know, again, do the subscriber math, 6 bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, as the months go along, now you're adding to whatever the Peacock Premium number is. They had 54 million subscribers for the regular Peacock after the Olympics, something they boosted by 12 million by having exclusive Olympic content uh, on Peacock. Now you're wondering how much of that is the free version of Peacock, how much of that is the premium. We don't know. What I do know, Michael, is that I learned that with Xfinity, which I believe is owned by Comcast, which owns everything else in in this whole vertical integration. (laughs) No, but in this specific vertical integration, is Universal connected to Comcast? I believe it was. Yeah, NBC, Universal, they had a merger. NBC or Comcast owns NBC, yeah. We get peacock premium for free i've had a free streaming so i didn't even know i had this streaming service for free i think you tried to tell me a couple i've times. told you multiple times <laughs> that that's the it. case well why come i couldn't find boss baby family business when i tried to find boss baby family business i, I don't have an answer for that question <laughs> but i know i've sat at this microphone and told you mike i'm pretty sure you have peacock because i we have we both have xfinity and we know yes. yeah so you yeah found I didn't. It comes uh, comes with every Xfinity. And Comcast is one of the biggest cable providers, especially up here in the Northeast. Uh, I, I don't know how they do, uh, you know, across the, the country, but I right. know they're one of the biggies there. So, yeah, I mean. But that's may, the maybe play this could be, Yeah, this could be news for other people who are uh, Comcast or Xfinity customers as well. Maybe they don't realize that they have Peacock at their disposal. You can watch this movie, as both Mike and I have, uh, either in theaters or if you're a Comcast customer, you probably have uh, access to Peacock right now and can watch this movie within your home. You have access to the cock right now in your <laughs> own isn't, home. Isn't that what it's all about? Just, that's, so it's all, that's all anybody wants. Uh, let's, we did choose to see this in theaters, though not together. Our schedules were conflicting there. Uh, what was your theater-going experience when taking this movie in, Mike? So my audience was pretty rowdy. Uh, I felt a kinship to you because we were texting beforehand. Mm-hmm. I had realized like my weekend was full up and I right. was like, all right, I can't see this until Sunday. So I had to make a last minute decision to see it on Thursday. Yeah. We were texting our friends, uh, notably An- Andrew Morgan of the Nomcast, who's on our last episode, Mike. And he was telling us he was trying to get tickets and it was sold out like in a lot of places where he was trying to get, get tickets along our state. So this this was the, this was a big movie going night and these were big movie going crowds. Yeah, it was weird. I was in a more intimate theater than when we went with Andrew to go see No Time to Die, which was in a bigger, you know, that Limax theater. 
This one was, it's the same movie theater, but it was a different theater and had reclining seats, not just uh, sit-back seats. But, it, I mean, this was a buzzier, far buzzier crowd than No Time to Die had, I felt. I mean, there were people chirping at the trailers for me. There were people chirping mm-hmm. at the kills on screen in real time. Uh, spoiler alert, I guess Michael Myers actually kills people in this one. Uh, <laughs> so, the, like, it was, it felt like an actual movie event, which was a feeling I hadn't had in a theater since, like, Little Women in 2019. <laughs> All the kills in Little Women. Right. Yeah, I haven't had rowdy theater goers since Little Women either. I've always said the two most dangerous killers in cinematic history. One is Michael Myers. One a dysentery from Little <laughs> dysentery. Women. Yeah, I don't think that happened, but I think uh, I think it was a loud audience, and I agree. I loved the loud audience here, and I even loved the point where. You know, we're laughing at some things during the movie. Mm-hmm. So, and it was okay to laugh and still kind of like the movie, which is fine. Right, right. Uh, yeah, and there was, I mean, there's there's highs and lows to this movie, uh, <laughs> which, you know, some of that comedy was intentional, some of it was not. Let's talk about the overall composition, the direction, some of the script thoughts about Halloween Kills. I think it would have been nice for mm-hmm. Blumhouse to let us know that they brought in M. Night Shyamalan specifically to rework some of the dialogue from old into this. I mean, there is every character in this movie, Mike, mm-hmm. has multiple lines of dialogue that they are clearly trying to deliver as the punchline to any trailer being cut for this. It, it like it feels so forced and so contrived and it bizarrely happens so often they really should have brought in David Caruso and the scream from Won't Get Fooled Again by The Who and just mm-hmm. gone full CSI Miami with it. That's, that's good. Uh, yeah, it felt very network TV, I would agree. Yeah. That's why I, I struggle and I cringe with some network TV. I mean, it's very efficient dialogue. Uh, I am the law. You're not the law. I am the law. All right, that's efficient. It gets to the heart of the scene. And uh, I, I, the actor, the acting is good for the most part. Mm-hmm. I would say even carrying some of these BS lines of dialogue, uh, that's frustrating. Like, I almost think that David Gordon Green and, and Danny McBride were a little high while they wrote this. And they were like, <laughs> hey, this is supposed to be a fun, crazy slasher movie anyway. So just let them say some bullshit. Tommy! <laughs> but, all right, I think there's a cool idea here. And you're going to elaborate elaborate on it a lot in spoilers, mm-hmm. what that cool idea is, why it's so ambitious. And I'm going to agree with you. However, do they execute all the nuances of that innovative sequel idea. No, I think there's an ultimate failure there. And I think that ultimate failure is based on quote unquote, a, a lack of principal characters because they're substituting four principal characters with a kind of an aggregate. Yes. But they're also not developing any characters. So there's no characterization here that lasts at all and it's just hard for a, a movie going audience to latch on to characters especially after you know if you get a, a hint of personality from one they're killed in the next scene and then you don't want to love again you don't want to relate again you don't want to <laughs> empathize again and that happens all the time in this movie so it works in small doses and it worked in the small doses with the 2018 Halloween. I like the fact that we thought the babysitter was cool and the babysitter's boyfriend was cool. Yeah. Remember those those yep. two characters? But, it, okay, you kill them. That happens once. Oh, there's like this bittersweet feeling in a slasher movie after that happens. And some other characters, like, you hate them immediately. 
on purpose and you got the bloodlust thing going on. So there's this roller coaster of emotions. Here it's kind of more one note and that note becomes like deadening. Like you you you're dead inside after it happens like to four or five characters in a row that you're introduced to and yeah. you like. Yeah, and and I think this kind of goes into performances too and without giving too much away. I like I I want to give I I had t- trouble in the moment giving this movie credit. I gave it more credit upon thinking about it after my first watch, and then I gave it more and more credit every time I rewatch it because, like, there is an audacity to what David Gordon Green and company and Universal try to do with this script, especially in terms of where it is and where it's released. But, like, part of the audacity is that, yes, you can't get familiar with any of the characters or you try to keep yourself from getting familiar with it because the main characters you are most familiar with are sidelined for the most part. Like, you can't really judge Jamie Lee Curtis's performances as yeah. a final girl or a leading lady because she's, like, relegated for the most of this movie. A hundred percent. And I like the thought of structuring a film away from her in this instance. I, I like agree. the idea. I, I just, agree. Again, the execution. Like, if you're going right. to fill, you have to fill the Laurie Strode void. So I thought they kind of give a figurehead character who becomes a very lame character, one of the lamest, too much time and too much... Rooting so hard for death for that character. Right, yes. So that's the problem. And and if he was funnier, maybe... And they could have been funnier with him, and you just wonder if you have tonal problems if you try to make Anthony Michael Hall's character funnier. <laughs> but, yeah, so that was the issue. Like, the, the overall ensemble, I like that we have funny actors, we have comedians... In this ensemble, a lot of eastbound and down mm-hmm. connections. David Gordon Green, Danny McBride, they've worked with, you know, uh, comedies, especially HBO comedies, eastbound and down, The Righteous Gemstones. Uh, Scott MacArthur is from The Righteous Gemstones. I also know him from The Mick. Uh, Mad TV's Michael McDonald, we both grew up on him. Of course. Uh, his comedy, so they're big in Little John in this. Lenny Clark, a longtime stand up diva Tyler, who's been in a lot of. Again, the DGG movies and mm-hmm. TV shows. She's been funny her whole career. So, yeah, these ensemble performances are relatable and fun, and there's a lot of them, and a lot of them die. We know that going in. Mm-hmm. So if you can't develop them as an aggregate and you're going to endear us to them more than you are going to satire kind of the aggregate in that regard then it it ultimately lands on tommy doyle's shoulders and i hate (laughs) tommy doyle in this hate him do you think it would have been better with paul rudd in that role with i mean the character would have had to been written differently wouldn't he have a hundred percent have to be written differently like if if paul rudd just walks around like a tough guy with a baseball bat right right how does that way there's no way um yeah i i agree and we're gonna get in more into all of that and uh, <laughs> how hard I was rooting for the death of Tommy Doyle throughout this in spoilers. Which is I anathema like... to you as a as a Halloween fan. You love exactly. Tommy Doyle throughout the series. Exactly, exactly. I was I was let down by that. And I feel like the non-spoiler section here is, is we're leaning more negative and we're going to get more positive as we go into spoilers. But just to kind of move along and, and another thing that was maybe disappointing to me in terms of production value here, uh, moving off performances, going into production value, this didn't feel like a Halloween movie in in terms of like the accoutrement that comes along the side of it. That's my $10 word for this episode. Wow. Um, But the Halloween theme wasn't really played that much. 
they did have the electric guitar kind of Halloween theme. I'm I'm score deaf too in my first watch, and I upon rewatches on on the cock, I was able to <laughs> hear the you know the guitar, you know, a couple different times at a, at a couple different moments that made me feel better about the music of the film. But you're right, other than beginning and end, the the usual is not there. And that is a theme that made the first movie, as we know, in 1978, that they've been leaning on heavily ever since. If you swapped out Michael Myers' mask for any other face covering with the big bad antagonist in this, (laughs) would you be able to tell this is even a Halloween movie? Well, would the mask have sideburns or no? (laughs) It's a good question. It's a good question. (laughs) No, you're right. You're right. I think there's homages to mm-hmm. the old school film technique that I really love. And at those are those are huge pluses for me that we'll talk about in spoilers. I do think the cinema, cinematography is strong, or cinematography is what mm-hmm. I was going to say. Either one. They're both good. And I think you're right. I think the cinematography feels like a lot of other horror movies. It does is It's unique to kind of modern horror and big right. budget horror. Right. Right. So you're, you're right. But there's... Uh, there's pros and cons to that. Like we get the season of the witch mass in these beautiful crane shot zoom ins, you know, ultimately these Christmas sweaters that don't make sense in certain frames and what these the retro flack. Where did that come from? <laughs> I don't know, but I'm just saying the cinematography is really cool. Like there's badass shots. There's like, but it, it does. It feels like the Texas chainsaw massacre. Remake. Right. Right, you know every it horror doesn't remake. feel like, like it feels like such a departure from 2018, mm-hmm. which is it's just bizarre. It hit me very, very awkwardly. Like if you know it's coming on rewatch or something, okay, you're more accepting of it. But if you're coming off of 2018s and viewing this for the first time, I, I think it's kind of a shock to the system. There are obvious send ups and homages where they just basically take old shots and put them back in. Mm-hmm. to this movie and old shots from previous franchise films and you know from 1978's movie which again is cool it worked in the last movie it works in this one but you know i i would have liked more with of that and and i would like more accoutrement i agree <laughs> always always need more accoutrement um <laughs> i don't think this is going to be nominated for anything michael no, uh, the Laurie Strode supporting actress stuff is absurd, and she's good. I mean, she what she's in, she's good at. She'll have to wait till Halloween ends to get her Oscar. I think. She'll have to wait to, for Halloween ends to get her surefire Oscar. It'll at that point, it'll be just all right. We have to give it to her. Exactly. As far as watching or not to wrap up the non-spoiler stuff, I really struggle with that question. Like. I think if you want a run-of-the-mill slasher and a fun time at the movies, I, I can absolutely see how you end up really disliking this movie if you go in cold. And I completely understand why some people are turned off by this. And I also, I'm, I'm presuming that's where much of the disdain and polarization of this film's reception in terms of its critiques have come from. Because there is a decent amount of, like, WTF in this movie that I think would sour casual fans... And, and and fans who even go in having somewhat of a knowledge of what Halloween is. But what I'll, what I'll draw the line in the sand that if you're living and dying with this franchise throughout these 12, 13 movies, you know, <laughs> Halloween 2, Part 7, whatever this is, I think you at least at a minimum walk away from this one saying you have a respect for what was attempted here. 
and the audacity that was shown on screen that I'll get more into on spoilers. I, I think if you're a hard, hardcore Halloween fan, you can at least have an understanding that they were trying to do something different here. I think my first watch, I was a little frustrated with the fact that they just didn't replay the 2018 formula with this yeah. movie. Yeah. But I agree with you. Upon rewatch, I think you know that MMO does Halloween rewatch series really does color my you know, experience with Halloween Kills differently. If I had not enjoyed the awesome badness right. of... <laughs> Three, four, five, six, resurrection, zombie, two, one. If I didn't enjoy the terribleness of those with you, I would just hate this movie right. and watch it once. And I think that's fair, yeah. I can rewatch it and I could, like you, see that they're taking the piss out of the, the regular slasher film. I could see that they're adding to the world building and giving us a lot of intriguing possibilities for the next movie for Halloween ends. And that excites me. And that, and that's fun uh, to experience just as another piece of the franchise. So it's ultimately, it's ultimately going to be a movie that enhances the overall franchise. I think. I hope so. I, I, I think that's, that's put very diplomatically. And I, I, I hope Look, I mean, they, they, they went for it. They really tried something different here that you really don't get in a lot of horror trilogies, especially. Uh, never mind trilogies, just in general. And uh, that's kind of going to be the focus and the tease of what's coming up next mm -hmm. uh, in the spoiler section. Spoilers ahead! This is a spoiler warning. This is the spoiler section for the movie Halloween Kills, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar as part of our MMO Does Halloween series that will be never-ending, so long as Michael Myers continues to track down people in the woods and through the town of Haddonfield. Uh, if you've not seen the movie yet, it's available both at your local theater and on Peacock. This is a good place for you to hit pause on this episode. Go check it out in one of those two spots. We'll be here waiting for you when you come back to hit play on us. If you've seen the movie already, or if we've just hyped up the spoiler section for you so much that you need to hear what we have to say, this is where you want to be. All spoilers from this point out for Halloween Kills, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. All right, I think I'm going to add something at the very end of this. I think we should both speculate on what we want Halloween ends to be. So just keep that in your brain, number one, okay? Because okay. uh, we didn't write that in at all, but I think we should. And I, I, I have an idea. So I'll just How do I get Michael Myers into the MCU? Is, uh, no, no. <laughs> I, I have a really juicy idea for the end of this okay, episode. Good. But okay, you have a wondrous rant slash dissertation slash it might be just a manifesto as you put it <laughs> of a madman rambling yeah yeah it's a madman's <laughs> manifesto it's somewhere in that spectrum of things where you're gonna bring up a lot of horror franchises a lot of sequels and a lot of hollow you know trilogies right now that i think is very important to overall give us a contextualization of how halloween kills fits in hollywood never mind in Haddonfield, so I'm really excited about this. Please don't spoil too many things. I don't think you do at all, but you're going to give us some pre plot premises of other movies here. Jar Jar Binks was hated by the <laughs> Star Wars. No, all right. So my running thesis is going to be what I kind of teased already in the non-spoiler. Like, the balls and the audacity that David Gordon Green and company had in going for exactly what they went for in this movie, I think if you put that into perspective and context of how part twos of trilogies are usually treated. 
Right. And I mean, don't try to argue that this is a part three of a part four because David Gordon Green was three in 1978 and Universal didn't have the rights to the franchise. So I doubt they were tabbing him with a look at the future when they made the 1978 original. So this is a part two of David Gordon Green's trilogy. <laughs> Correct. And it's not it's not Creed one. Right. Because Rocky one through five happened and then right. Rocky Balboa <laughs> happened and then Creed happened and they're all together. But right. this is. A sequel trilogy based on the 1978 film, and it cuts off everything after that. That That's very different from other Seaquake reboot quills <laughs> like Creed. Never mind Seaquake yes. reboot quill trilogies like this. Right. This is unique. And it, it is unique if you look at where this movie went versus where its predecessor was, and the predecessor being the 2018 one. Mm-hmm. Um, and what usually happens with part twos of sequels like this isn't a paint by numbers trope filled slasher like i know what you did last summer i know what you did last summer you have a group of teens paying a penance for their sins Mm -hmm. and i still know what you did last summer you have a group of teens paying a penance for their sins but on a beach (laughs) it's not it's not die hard where die hard one you have bruce willis something something guns skyscraper and then die hard two bruce willis something something airplanes and an airport no mission impossible one tom cruise is a super secret agent spy learning he can't trust anybody mission impossible two tom cruise is a super secret agent spy learning he can't trust anybody and also the matrix was popular at the time (laughs) yeah right if this were a paint-by-numbers sequel, then Laurie Strode is reduced to Wile E. Coyote, where she sets one <laughs> trap for Roadrunner yes. Michael Myers, meep meep, to another yes. trap in this movie, and then she fails with that trap too. This is not a Looney Tunes cartoon. This is not the paint-by-numbers sequel. And I thought that's what we were going to get. And I think there might be some people, I mean, maybe they thought the the trope was going to be reversed or maybe they were going to like flesh out the villain more. And maybe that's what the expectation was. And we don't get that either here like we've had like silence of the lambs is is arguably the greatest horror movie ever you have the legendary bad guy giving advice to catch someone while he's locked up and then in hannibal which is part two of that trilogy it's an okay sequel where the legendary bad guy is giving advice on how to catch himself while out on the run i mean Candyman part one hookman stalks and preys on a skeptic student writing a thesis Candyman two farewell to the flesh hookman stalks and preys someone from his past Right. What's Michael's motivation is not the end game of this movie. In fact, they make fun of that being the end game mm-hmm. of this sequel movie. They're deconstructing the deconstruction? No, seriously. They have theories on Michael's motivation in the first movie that are negated by this movie. Mm-hmm. And they have theories on Michael's motivation that are hilariously <laughs> refuted in this movie where to the point where we have Addy McPlot booster dad who gets killed immediately at the John household takes a gun and goes up and just literally we don't even need to see it we know he's going to be you know peeking his corpse out of an attic just we know one, he's dead one sound and he's gone bop dead Done. Which is not to say there's negatives within that. And there are character motivations within this movie and character decisions that even for a slasher movie will drive you insane, which we'll get to. Right, but, but it's fun to have one fat drunk dad and two <laughs> high school kids in the car. Right. Him giving this big save the day speech for the end of the movie. You stay here, kids. I'm going in to do what dads do. 
Right. Exactly. It, he's body count number 42. Mm-hmm. Of course he is. Exactly. And at, yet at the same time with this sequel, it's not just an escalation of the plot. We're not just making the bad worse. Like Blade, you have a half-vampire Avenger who protects humans from vampires. Blade 2, that same half-vampire Avenger protects humans and vampires from enhanced vampires. Right. Every zombie movie, or Aliens, for instance, a great sequel, just made more Aliens, right? And more right. good guys and more bad guys. <laughs> right. And every zombie sequel ever, we just go from like, all right, zombies at one house to, all right, we're on the road with all the zombies, right? Mm-hmm. Zombie land escalated, I would say, to a wider map. And you're right, Blade 2, you have a whole species and the whole fate of the world is at, at stake. It's not just an escalation of the quote-unquote antagonism. In Halloween Kills. If anything, it's an inverse of that. Now we have more people for him to kill. We have we have a you know an escalation of the protagonism. I don't know if that's a word, but we have more good guys, and we have ultimately a deconstruction of what the good guys need to do. It's more about and it's more of a satire of the good guys and how they sabotage themselves every yeah. single corny ass line step along the way. I mean, even if you look at something like Scream, like you had maybe a small refinement of what the antagonism did in that movie, but it was mm-hmm. still kind of paint by numbers. Scream 1, Final Girl Survives, pop culture driven baddies. Scream 2, Final Girl Survives, pop culture seeking baddies. Like they wanted to make headlines. Yeah, Michael Myers doesn't become a pop culture seeking baddie <laughs> in this. He doesn't become a good guy in this. Right. It's, so we've seen that movie though, right? We've seen Michael be like, He's part of a cult, and he's <laughs> right. He's, he's, a he's weaponized. Yeah. He's a pawn. Yeah, no. and I think that's an incredible tightrope that this tries to walk. Like it doesn't make you sympathetic for Michael, but at the same time, it does shift the antagonist a lot. Uh, at least it attempts to. And so, what do we have in this Halloween trilogy so far? Halloween 18, 2018, Michael mm-hmm. escapes Smith's Grove and goes on a killing spree. Mm-hmm. Halloween kills. We have Haddonfield attempting to hunt down Michael in multiple groups while spotlighting mob mentality. Now That's I'm a not... cool idea, Mike. That really is. Right. It's, it's next level thinking. Like we gotta go from Michael defeating Laurie in like this ultimate showdown that we've been waiting for forty years in the making to all of Haddonfield is now part of the plot. And we're gonna have this cool ass improvised, kind of hilariously bad improvised trap set by them. Right, the Avengers aren't waiting for Thanos to show up. They're going to go chop (laughs) Thanos' head off, except the Avengers in this case are drunken dads, you know? like (laughs) And people named Karen, let's just be honest. (laughs) It's a very diverse summation of plot between two movies, the first two entries in a straight-line sequel for a trilogy. I think you have... I'm not trying to make the argument here that Halloween Kills or Halloween 2 Part 3 here is... You know, Terminator 2, it's not aliens, it's not the guy, I'm not trying to say, but the audacity of David Gordon Green and Universal going from what they told in 2018 to trying to tell this story, I think you have to respect that. This isn't just a paint-by-numbers, trope-filled slasher sequel, but it still shows 31 gruesome murders on screen, as any part two of a horror trilogy should. 
This isn't relying on falling back on the lazy technique of trying to flush out the villain, but it does go back to Halloween night, 1978, and try to answer the question of just what the fuck happened later on that night, 40 plus years after that question was asked for the first time. This isn't literally every Halloween movie prior where Michael is just this unstoppable killing machine hell-bent on hunting down Laurie or members of the Strode family because that's not what the 2018 reboot was about. Like, we tried to warn you all. So to get into some major plot lines and themes, I do think we probably should start with how Laurie fits into this movie. And you're right. She is sidelined from the main plot uh, to a degree because she's going to probably show up in the next one in a big way. (laughs) But she's the mentor of this plot, which I really think worked at the end of the day. I wasn't a huge fan of it at the beginning, and I was a bit disappointed after my first watch, and I was like, all right, all right, we we sidelined Lori. But Michael, you do not have to worry anymore. Like, your worries are over. I was happy with her being (laughs) sidelined. You have to save her, to save her. And Judy Greer, who does a nice job in her performance. I really like her performance. Her character's not written well. Not. Agree. And the fact that they gave her more significance in this plot than they should have was reaching at straws and grabbing at straws. Agree. It doesn't work. But she does deliver a good performance. She has a very curious backstory and the fact that she's wearing a Christmas sweater. And she <laughs> is killed at the end after just being annoying for two movies otherwise. <laughs> The contrarian, annoying, I don't know, is she the Karen that people call Karens? I don't know. Maybe she is. Maybe she isn't. Maybe that's not an accident. But she was annoying the whole time, and she dies at the end of this one, exactly like Michael's sister, which is a crazy send-up homage. Talk about shots being literally copied from the original 1978 movie where she's got her hand out, that whole deal. What did you think about that death? Well, again, it doesn't have catharsis to it, but it does mean more when Laurie is giving the theme of the film at the end, or at least she's deconstructing what other people said the theme of the film was, where other people said he's going home to look at the mirror of the window. That's what it's all about. I love that, too. Everyone's so sure they know this guy's motivation. (laughs) This isn't Rob Zombie's movie. We're not actually, we have no fucking idea what's going on in Michael's head. He has to go home to look in the mirror of <laughs> right. a window at my his childhood house. That's what he, he Talk creeps. about grasping at straws. My question, though, is like, how the hell did he get up there? There's clearly police everywhere around that house. He's a sneaky one. No, that doesn't matter. Lori's like, look it. It's not just having more testosterone than pure evil. That's not the winning move here. It's not just being about... You know, uh, more death and more arms and more. That's not what what's going to defeat him in the end. And honestly, in terms of a theme of the film, I mean, you're going to kind of mention more of what it is than I'm going to mention more of what it isn't. But Laurie's voiceover here is recontextualizes 2018's movie. Let's look at what did not work in that film. She's learning the lesson now of what didn't work then. Earlier in her evening, right? I mean, we're still in that same night. Like, she can't just ambush Michael with all her defenses, right. her defense mechanisms, right? Or she can't deal with her trauma that way. She succeeded, but ultimately it fails. In the same way the mob mentality 
can succeed momentarily with all of its escalated uh, testosterone and all of its new weaponry. But still, if you're fighting pure evil and you can ambush it, you'll ultimately fail. And that's structurally and thematically sound, I believe. And that's kind of where the focus of this plot is, is overarching. I mean, yeah. that's that gets a lot of runtime here, is that you know the, the big overarching theme of this movie is not Laurie versus Michael. It's not Michael on a killing spree. It's not the town of Haddonfield being terrified. I mean, it is the town of Haddonfield being terrified to the point of vengeance but and anger, but it's like the overarching theme of this movie is basically Twitter stinks. it's it's a spotlight on mob mentality it's literally said in the movie like maybe we're the real monsters after all you know like it's at least something new and ballsy that i don't remember seeing be done in a part two when you know a part three of a trilogy is still yet to come i think part two of the trilogy is to knock you off your pins and get you ready for the third movie where genuinely we don't know what's going to happen and we don't know what's going to succeed thematically. There has to be something profound. It does raise the stakes. It it makes Laurie's final showdown with Michael mean all the more, but you're right. This was a refutation. Is that that a word? Of the first movie. (laughs) This is a satire overarching satire of Twitter and mob mentality, etc. I agree with you. And it shows us being the assholes, like when yes. we do the mob mentality thing, but yet at the same time, again, it doesn't craft any sympathy for my, like, you look, showing literally 31 murders on screen probably helps you not have sympathy for Michael, and I counted, and that's the number I came up with, give or take a life or, you know, whatever, three. But I, I think that's an... It's just an audacious tightrope for not only a director and writer to walk, but for a big studio to walk. And I think it boils down to Tommy Doyle and Anthony Michael Hall's character a little bit too much, though. So the tightrope, they put too much on him. And maybe they thought Paul Rudd could have pulled it off. I know know they thought Paul Rudd would have been a different character at the end of the day. but. Like, he's the figurehead of the mob of Haddonfielders with torches and pitchforks, but he is this dumbass, lame-ass, fake-tup guy who I think the town would treat more as Hubie Halloween than they would treat as a, you know, a militia leader. You're probably right. He's unbelievable, and and he loses all credibility immediately Mm. because he has the worst dialogue, because he's a party pooper, because of all these things. Like, Mike, I cannot believe... This is something said in any movie. Like, take off his mask, look him in the eye, <laughs> swing old Huckleberry here, and say night night. You night. didn't you didn't like when he uh, when he made sure to tip the the love lives today thing before going out to confront the guy who tried to kill him in the parking lot. But evil dies tonight. You didn't think that was natural in terms of dialogue and character motivation? No, like, <laughs> like what the hell? Like he's giving coaching to these posse <laughs> members it's so dumb stay alert we're, <laughs> we're walking past 17 dead bodies in a playground immaculately staged of course they're alert the problem is not they're they're not alert is that they're jumpy as shit and they're probably gonna shoot the first thing they see and right. none of them are trained and this is stupid unless you have a posse that's coordinated, not a bunch of drunk dads with high school kids toting guns <laughs> and irons <laughs> and baseball bats. Like, what is a six-year-old going to do with a baseball bat, really? <laughs> Can we ask that question? 
I hate to say it and be ageist, but I've also umpired old guy softball games. The bat mm-hmm. speed is not making me afraid. Like mm-hmm. if Anthony Michael Hall swung as hard as he could, he wouldn't kill me with a bat. So if he can't kill me, how is he going to kill Michael Myers? It's all exasperated too. But like, I, I completely agree. But the fact that, like, not only is the Tommy Doyle character written preposterously, mm. God bless Anthony Michael Hall. He does his best. He really does. But maybe stay retired too. Like, there's <laughs> overacting, and then there's just the combination of the poorly written character on top of the character choices you're making in the performance, I was actively rooting for him to be killed every time he was on screen. And maybe that's the point, again, of the overarching plot, but they're walking that tightrope, as you said. They're almost trying to make an awesomely bad character. So you might as well, at that point, and again, tonally, I don't know if it works, but you might as well make him fully satirical or you need Donald Pleasance, right? Or you need <laughs> 1990s Anthony Hopkins to pull it off. And that's, right. again, my Anthony Michael Hall, is he does a decent job acting-wise. Like, he makes, he sells some things to me that you probably couldn't sell. But he he's almost too good of an actor for this role. I want a worse actor here, in a way, right? Maybe, is that a way to spin it in favor of Anthony Michael Hall? Because if he was worse, we would just be laughing at, at him more than we're kind of just... It's a fair point. It's, but yeah. I mean, was the, I also, it boggles my mind that the I didn't have a problem, aside from the Dr. Sartan character, who was, you know, a laughable comic book villain in the first one. I can't remember having an issue with such a main player in 2018s. So it's yeah. so jarring to see this guy who's become the protagonist for this movie in place of Laurie be written in this way by the same team. Danny McBride should have played the role himself. Yeah, he should have. That's that's a great call. That's, that's a great call. Because that seems like a, yeah. a typical Danny McBride thing where he could have made it funny or that's over the top. That's a great call. Yeah. And if he was just Kenny Powers and just yep. you know oozing with the bravura yep. machismo, and we know that he's got narrow shoulders and he's not going to swing that very hard, <laughs> and we, it would be almost funny. It would be funny. Yeah, Point yeah that's a great call. That's a fantastic call by you. It would have made a lot more sense. I agree. So, yeah, I, I, I guess, you know, I, it just rough. It's a rough, rough thing to do for Anthony Michael Hall. It's a tough ask of him to pull this character off. Um, I, I, I'd like to think we touched on a lot of issues that we've seen people have with the movie. What about some stuff that we personally liked and... As far as bests, my deranged and sick mind, look, we <laughs> joked about it the entire Halloween series that Michael must have this like art degree in the way he stages these kills. We yeah. saw it in 2018 when he's turned the cop head in the cop car into an actual jack-o'-lantern. And stuff. Like, we actually see him set up some artistic kills in this movie. We see him stabbing a billion knives into the back of the guy in the first home he breaks into. We see him... <laughs> staging the the two lovers the big john little john right below the picture of them on the beach there in the same man i i kind of thought that was kind of cool it's beautifully disgusting yeah and it's when you know it's a bunch of comedians who are kind of in the movie and when you know it's a bunch of you know retreads from the original I mean, it's to get marion that moment where she fucks up again <laughs> and is killed for the hundredth time in this series, right? That's worth what I mean, in a sick way, it is that Halloween level cinem- cinematic that we 
buy tickets for. I mean, it's the bloodlust thing. It's the it's the spectacle thing, but the spectacle's work. And like you said, the staging of it afterwards, it's really horrifying to walk through yeah. the Halloween 3 mass on all of those playground heads, dead heads. That's gross. That's disgusting to have... You know, one victim looking at her husband getting just stabbed as, you know, torment and extra sick fuck oh, that was playfulness. So really scary. And I, I you know, I, I have an appreciation. Look, Mike's always been a a child, like a prankster. He's wearing he's staging himself as a ghost with glasses on in the seventy eight original. You know? <laughs> he kicks the car door. Like to me again, I'll go back to the playground. Him kicking the car door and the the doctor who's actually yes costumed as a nurse shooting herself in the head. I screamed out loud. I was like, oh damn. Oh that's I mean if you're gonna be in a movie and get killed, get killed in a spectacular fashion, right? right? right. I mean these actors must have loved it. Little John Big John, they must have it must have been delicious to them as actors. They must have loved playing that. And they did a great job. All those actors in those roles did a great job. I agree. Uh, I think Jamie Lee Curtis did a great job as well. I like that, she, you know, even though she was relegated to being a side character, essentially, for the most part, they kept her looking like a badass. I mean, she wakes up from surgery. She's immediately trying to get out of bed. And, and she's, you know, the knife wound that punctured her intestine. She's like, ah, oh, it's just a paper cut. <laughs> She had some great lines in that hospital. Uh, I, I, I said all her voiceover stuff worked for me already, but she also has the moment with Frank where they're talking about their fling. And yeah, it was fun. It was it added to her character. And I, I, I need more adding to her character, number one. I mean, we pay the ticket price. We want that. But she's stabbing herself after the little thing that she has with Frank. I'll oh, give him a double with the pain meds. <laughs> yeah. And then... The you know the double that the nurse set up or whatever she's jabbing in her own back or her own butt, <laughs> and it's this awesomely badass scene. Yes, and and it you, it's also a bit realistic when she actually goes out there after getting you know the surgery, mm-hmm. and she gets like bumped slightly, <laughs> and she doubles over in agonizing pain. So it just adds to the level of her badassery that she's able to get up after that. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And and as far as her like talking about the fling with Frank, like man, we have so many movies where nobody talks about what happened in the decades since. Like nobody tried to recount or fill in the blanks of just what exactly happened later on in that night of 1978. And if it was any other franchise, I I may really have a problem with the exposition dump, but mm-hmm. like this one nobody's explained anything. <laughs> Like, everybody lives in fear of this guy and this night that happened, but nobody talks about what actually happened on the night of, ever, not since 1981, have people tried to explain exactly what the hell happened on Halloween night 19. So I didn't mind the retconning of history and the world building there, and I like that they stopped short of having it going the full Rob Zombie of explaining what Michael exactly was. So, to me, it's like a... Double-edged sword. I say that a lot. So there's highs to that, and there's huge lows to that. The huge low to it is the Frank Hawkins flashbacks. He is the Frank Drebin, worst cop ever (laughs) from Naked Gun in this. Like He is easily the worst police officer in the history of Hollywood, Halloween nights and Hollywood nights, Hollywood movies, right? I mean, he, he shoots at Michael in the alleyway in the first sequence, right? Mm -hmm. And then... 
he doesn't tell the other officers, oh my God, I saw him. He took a left. Let's follow him. No, he shoots the shit walking the other way because he was what? I shoot the shot, my gun in that instance. I don't want to file the paperwork or what? That was the most ridiculous scene in history. You got a freaking dart in your neck, man. Yeah, but then he shoots Jim Cummings, who I'm thrilled that Jim Cummings is in this movie. I love Jim Cummings, Thunder Road, uh, the the Werewolf of Snow Hollow, the Wolf of Snow Hollow. Wolf of Snow Hollow, yep. Two really cool movies that I'm I'm thrilled he's getting more work and he's got the beta test coming out. Can't wait to see that. I I think those scenes are awful. They're <laughs> awful with Frank Hawkins. They're stupid. And I like Michael coming out and getting an early kill, but they're awful until, like you said, we get Michael in front of Loomis, the mm-hmm. new Loomis, which you said I thought he looked great. Like, is that not Donald Pleasance? Yeah, people were saying, is that a CGI or people... That's what I thought it was, is it not? You could find an old, white, bald guy who looks like Donald Pleasance. I'm not going to sit here and have you tell me all white people look alike. That's not... I mean, seriously, is that not Donald Pleasance? He looks like every shop teacher in the world, (laughs) Donald Pleasance. No offense. He He just looks like every middle school teacher ever. So uh, the fact that he could talk exactly like Donald Pleasance, also I will not be a great shocked if that's not a CGI or an old old video of Donald Pleasance. It was not. It was a stunt double. It was a guy who impersonated Donald wow. Pleasance. Then that guy. Did, I take back what I said about this movie not getting Oscars. That guy deserved <laughs> he he deserves to be most like like Donald Pleasance. That he talks like this. I used to be able to do a better impression, but I I love the playfulness of that. I love the final shot of that sequence, even though I hated the whole sequence. So you're right. Highs, real highs to that sequence. Michael, I love the playfulness with the whole mask scenario. I think that's a huge positive that was there in the trailer, right? Like we saw hands going at Michael's Mm -hmm. face in the trailer. And I was going to, I was wondering, because it happened early on in this movie, right? Like the, the one third point in yeah. the playground. Yeah. I was like, oh no, they're going to do this the whole movie, aren't they? And this is going to be overkill and over mask play or whatever. It's kinky, but it's not going to work. <laughs> and no, we, we only see it twice. Like we see his fucked up eye. I love how he loses his mask twice. And I love how that stops him from killing. And yeah, then the too. badass finale of oh him God. walking with the no mask and how they blurred his face and, that was so cool, and then you get the full homage to 78 of him walking through the neighborhood. Shot so well, too. I mean, you get literally, it's, it's you know, it's Captain America in the elevator. You, yeah. you get the scene where he's just <laughs> slashing and bashing, man, and that's what I thought this was going to have. I'm, I was not let down by the Michael Myers just killing spree at the end of this. Um, right. I also like the the spelling out literally of the theme of this. Just because your intentions are good doesn't mean things always work out. Twitter, every Twitter bio should have that. Yeah, and the fact that it's said by a cop who's <laughs> right. part of the worst police right. department ever just adds all these meta levels of you know meaning to that. And yeah, that's the the awesome badness of this movie is pretty good. Like Haddonfield's finest, their fire department. The flip side of that is Haddonfield's police department. Haddonfield's finest and Haddonfield's worst. Haddonfield's medical staff. Haddonfield Hospital's medical staff. <laughs> leading the riot. 
up the stairs. By You're the way. right. You're Doctors right. opening the doors for all these idiots who let's get into some work scenes here. The worst of them is, oh, my God, we have Michael Myers who's killed 20 something people mm-hmm. again after killing 10 people years ago or six people. Right. Whatever. Known for it. Right. So we think he's just who? Danny DeVito? Yeah, I don't, I can never, I will never (laughs) understand how, like, there's so many issues. (laughs) And I completely understand. Kill him! He looks like Danny DeVito. He must have killed 20 people savagely previously up to this point in the evening. The teacher with the the monocle and the the pocket watch from Harry Potter there. Like, the the guy who turns into the rat is going to be Michael Myers. I don't understand how you... And first of all, Tommy Doyle is staring at the dude on the TV in the bar. Yeah. Like, this is just a couple pot. (laughs) Evil dies tonight. Get him, Chester Cobblepot. <laughs> it's Never hilarious. The, the savior, the mob mentality. I'm going to stand up to the mob doing what's right that Judy Greer's character is forced to do before the guy jumps out the window. Like, I'm going to protect you. I won't let them hurt you. Here, trap yourself into this cage of death. <laughs> You're only going to have one way out, friend. <laughs> You're uh, a mentally ill person with suicidal yeah, no, tendencies. We are evil cracking jokes about this. But, yeah, yeah, but like, yeah, but it's, but it's ridiculous. But it is absurd. Like, why does she have... Like, they're just shoehorning her into this situation. Like, she's just the voice of, let's sit tight and not do nothing. <laughs> That's what she is. Mm-hmm. I'll, I have a Christmas sweater. I'm going wa- I'm gonna, I'm gonna to ponder things and wash my hands. <laughs> and no, mom... You convalesce, please. And then all of a sudden, she's getting ahead of the angry mob to save Danny DeVito as Chester Copplepot. I don't understand it at all. I, I, like, I get the idea of it. He's the catalyst to show that mob mentality is bad and wrong. And when people have a bloodlust, it becomes from looking, wanting to do what's right to going after a bloodlust and vengeance for vengeance's sake. And I understand that. I just think the execute, like, again, respect the ideal. The execution, I think, fell short for me. Yeah, and that's the problem that comes back around to Anthony Michael Hall's character because yes, agree. a lot of the worst scenes involve this posse who has no coordination. Like, the only way we're going to survive this is if we all come together on this. All right, first of all, redundant. But <laughs> if they then split up into very small, ineffective groups that forget how to use a cell phone... To communicate with where they think or where they know in the instance of high school drunk dad number one Mm -hmm. played by whatever guy who's supposed to be the guy from the flashback who's actually a good actor by the way. Lonnie. The Lonnie Lonnie. character. Yeah. Yeah. Lonnie who had to you know fight off the McPoyles from (laughs) who are the Mulaney's by the way because the McPoyles are they important like the the, the McPoyle sisters who are bullying him in the flashback. Who I think they, they? Uh, they, they, that family died when they hit a banana peel driving off the, uh, the cliff one day in Billy Madison. <laughs> oh, Doyle rules. That's what I thought they were. Like, she had the most cartoonish hairdo, like red hairdo. Right. A, 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 a ridiculous. <laughs> but they rule, apparently. Somebody right. told me that. Right. What the fuck? I, I don't know who the uh, Mulaney's were, the McPoyles, whatever. But okay. <laughs> You you have these 
ineffective small groups hunting Michael, of course they're going to die easily right. one by one. Right. So you finally get the mob together, and the mob attacks Danny DeVito in this perfect sequestering way like they have the trap on Danny DeVito but when they actually try and ensnare Michael they're going to use henchman theory and come at him one by one yeah, and, with look, non-lethal it's, blows it's such a tough like because of course the answer is to everyone gang up on him at once and just keep shooting him and bashing him in the head <laughs> like and know how you a can't gun do works. that stand away from the person <laughs> right. and shoot the gun from a distance. Right. And it's hilarious how the, the nurse woman, who's really a doctor, can't shoot a gun. And you get the Dumb and Dumber quote in my head. Harry, you're a terrible shot. <laughs> and it's got to be infuriating, I'm sure, for the writing process, too. Because, like, you, you, can't, you can't have that on screen. Like, that can't... <laughs> Michael Myers' brains should be splattered all over that road. A hundred times. And they sh- right. But you can't, you obviously can't just do that because then the series ends. I get it. I get it. And what are we all thinking when we're watching Michael be savagely beat it, beaten there? We're like, oh, but don't kill him, though. Right. Are we all thinking that? Isn't that the evil, exactly. absurd, exactly. ridiculous thought? We have Halloween ends. They're not going to kill him right. here, right? Exactly. We all thought it. And it's so it's it's an impossible situation. It's absolutely impossible. I mean, I you know, I, yes, I feel just as outraged as you do because it is so patently obvious and so absurd that they don't just stab like Judy Greer stab him in the brain, maybe not the upper shoulder. <laughs> you know, the upper shoulder, the pitchfork that only goes in an inch deep. Right. I got him. <laughs> inch deep. I got I got you a couple good inches, two inches. And you made the point, too, how people are going off in these small groups. Like, the the character decisions to go after Michael. Like, oh, there's multiple people dead on your own street, bar patrons dressed as a doctor and a nurse. Let's hunt Michael. Let's not stay inside and, and try to, you know, not be killed. Oh, there's a murderous psychopath that just killed your father and stalked you, mom, and grandma on Halloween yeah. night, Allison. Fuck trauma recovery. Let's hunt Michael. There's a deranged lunatic that's after my son and his girlfriend, Lonnie. You two stay in the car. I'm going to go inside his childhood home and hunt Michael. They need to be much drunker. <laughs> obviously on drugs or just a combination thereof and shown to be satirical like that would be funny and that would also make more sense to me yeah if they are shown pissing themselves or, or whatever <laughs> like just now nah, i gotta get them that's it Evil what a movie tonight. that would be <laughs> um all right let's go into your segment before we do grades here i my envision for halloween ends is very <laughs> simple and in the way I wanted Halloween Kills to just be a bloodbath, and I got that in a, a great attempt at something unique at least, I really just need to see Michael and Laurie 1v1. I think this ends mm-hmm. actually similarly to the way in which H2O ended. with Because we're getting this theme hammered of brute force isn't going to kill him, testosterone's not going to kill him. I think it's got to be something with Lori giving him love or something and like him reaching out to Lori and her figuratively, if not literally chopping his fucking head off. That is fascinating. I think uh, that is an ultimate trap. And I wonder if that, I wonder if that works and if we buy it or I wonder if it works cinematically and we buy I do it as too. a storytelling. I, but I don't, I'm very curious to hear your, th- I mean, that's me off the top of my head, but it, it just seems that you can't just brute force this guy to death was hammered so hard in this movie that the opposite has to be true in some way. The opposite has to be true. 
and she has to gain an upper hand. But ultimately, I wonder if she's just going to get away and move out of Haddonfield and Halloween night ends, but Michael Myers still escapes at the oh, end of wow. Halloween ends. So that's like where I'm at. Like, I think, I think, you know, Halloween ends is Michael Myers just goes to another town and he gets away at the end. He North gets defeated. <laughs> North Haddonfield. <laughs> West Haddonfield. Wow. That's kind of a depressing ending. But how are they, if they kill Michael at the end of this trilogy, how can they make another trilogy unless they reboot Mike. it? But are, Mike. No, I know, I know. But wouldn't it be funny if they just leave it open-ended at the end of Halloween ends, he just gets away again? I mean, there is some poetic justice to you going so hard, David Gordon Green, in saying that this isn't Michael chasing Laurie. And they hammered it in this movie, too. Judy Greer was so sure he was hunting Laurie that he was going to show up at the hospital, and that was a misdirect. There's some kind of poetic justice to there being a confrontation between Michael and Laurie, Laurie deciding to leave, and we just see Michael standing here staring at him in the rearview mirror as he drives off, and he's not giving chase. Like, this is my home. This is where I stay. This is my town. I don't disagree I with you. We might be overthinking it, though. I'm sure we are. The hey, look over there trick works on Michael Myers. <laughs> the hey, way? come over here. Come get me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the trash talk works on Michael Myers. Why can't they all just do it? And he doesn't know which way to go in until they just. He's get... just walking in circles for the rest of time. In a warehouse. Yeah. He just perpetually like somehow give holograms. But they, they can't use a cell phone in this movie. Right. So how do they have holograms set up in the next movie? But Your he would be history yeah, with technology until he starves to death. Yeah, dies of thirst. <laughs> or there's always, I mean, my favorite killing ever has been like Michael Myers is doing his taxes. He bites on a pen because he's thinking of something and he gets ink poisoning and dies. <laughs> something simpler than we're thinking right now. But yeah, out just... Just out thinking Michael Myers is probably the way to go. The sheriff trying. has to be involved, I would think, right? So Frank Hawkins needs to die, though. That's the problem. Yeah, he, like, he, I agree. He needs to die. I was talking about the, uh, what's his name there, with the hat. Oh, sure. Yeah, the U.S. Marshal. Yeah. I don't know his name, but he is the law, we know. And is Kyle Richards, it, it, Lindsay's still alive, right? Or... Uh, Wait, who's Lindsay again? The, I don't know the, the girl who was, uh, it was Tommy and Lindsay. And uh, Lindsay was being hunted oh, yeah. in the woods by Michael Myers. What happened yep. to her? She no, Lindsay's still alive. Because Lindsay had the wherewithal to stop running from a walking man and hide <laughs> behind a tree where you could be easily seen That's from all a bridge. <laughs> but here's the thing. We saw, we saw the kid in the flashback. Again, I don't know names. Hid from he cowered to Michael Myers, Lonnie, and therefore yeah. Michael walked by him. Michael walked by a baby, an innocent baby, in the first movie in 2018, and then Michael walked by this woman cowering on a riverbank or a pond bank when he could probably easily not probably he could see her from the bridge. There's some sort of they're trying to do something with making his motivation understood because Hawkins kept, you know, had that line, he's an animal, he's a six-year-old boy at heart with the body of a man. I, I hope they don't go too deep into his motivation. He's just supposed to be evil. But they got to go some deep. They got to yeah, go more than one inch of a pinchfork stab deep. I Correct. Agree. <laughs> but they got to be, I think they're getting at it here in the second film where if you cower in fear, like he, just the, they want to, 
take away the fear. And it's been about fear. It's not necessarily Mm -hmm. Batman's Nolan trilogy, but it is based on fear. And they're talking, and my, and, and, you know, Anthony Michael Hall is talking about, we're we're not going to be afraid. And then obviously they panic. (laughs) The problem is there's no way to undo Twitter rage. Like we've never seen Twitter rage undone well <laughs> it doesn't end peacefully or nicely for everyone involved you know it's usually just, just this hot fireball that keeps burning but i i think what what's the way to deal with fear you got to understand your own fear and you got to take the piss out of your own fear and just like so everyone just I mean, starts I, laughing at michael no you 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 don't just ignore your fear bravery doesn't happen in the absence of fear, bravery happens because of fear. I'm quoting Game of Thrones. You can only be brave if you're afraid. So Be brave! Right. I'm quoting Warhorse. <laughs> well, I, I just think the theme... We're, we're trying to figure out the theme of the next movie. I don't know if we can get it down yet. But I, I think that's where we're going psychologically and thematically. I hope they have a callback to the shot in H2O. That would be nice to see in an updated 2022 Halloween. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, when they set up the uh, Scooby-Doo warehouse (laughs) where Michael's just going to be pulled in 17 different directions, one of those directions should be Lori's face behind a circular window. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's end on final grades here, Mike. Where do you go? Yeah, I I still have to give it a positive end of the spectrum grade it's not going to be a high grade for me but a c plus yep a c plus after three watches it was probably a c minus then it was a c then it was all right it's a c plus i can't wait so we're only six watches away from like an a (laughs) minus that's right (laughs) i'm the same i'm like a 78 79 c plus look i really truly think that it, it you gain more of it the more you think about it and on rewatch. Now, do you want to be the type of person that spends their free time thinking about Halloween kills? That's for you to decide. I am. I'm not sure you are, Mike. I think I've dragged you along, and you've been a good sport about most of this to the point where maybe you're suffering Stockholm Syndrome and you're starting to endear yourself to the material. No, I, I am endearing myself to the material, and I did it begrudgingly. <laughs> But I'm glad it happened. I'm glad it happened. Because upon first glance, one watch, I'm aggravated with this movie. Yeah. I'm disappointed by this movie because it's not what I thought was going to happen. But the more you study it, the more you like it, I think. And the more we studied Fast and Furious, the more we can like it. Yeah. We just like movies, man. <laughs> I think that's where we're landing. <laughs> At the end of the day... It is a hot mess of a movie, I think. I am giddy to end up giving this movie a higher grade than Dune. (laughs) (laughs) But look, we got to recognize ourselves, though, and be like, okay, maybe if we study Dune more than we want to study Dune, Mm -hmm. we would like Dune more than we will eventually like Dune. And it's for that reason I'm giving it exactly one watch and one watch only. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Guys, as always, we want to hear from you. What did you think of Halloween Kills? Did you watch it multiple times? Did it gain anything with you on rewatch? Or did you only watch it the one time? Where did you think it would go? And where do you think Halloween Ends is going to go? Uh, You can leave us all of those as well as other... 
as well as any other comments, questions, or concerns you have about anything we do here in the MMO Empire. Leave us all of those on our social medias. Those are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram, at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available wherever you hear podcasts, including on the streets of Haddonfield or on the Apple Podcasts app. And if you're listening to us on the Apple Podcasts app right now, if you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, just a single click would truly make our day. Michael, uh, we've kind of hinted at it a little, but tell the good people what's on the horizon from MMO and what are some words of wisdom to end on? Well, words of wisdom will look back because I will shamefully plug the fun that we have had on yeah. MMO Does Halloween. We've referenced it throughout this episode. Our prep episode is part of that. Absolutely. SoundCloud playlist. It is wise, according to us, <laughs> to listen to us have fun in that series, that Halloween rewatch series. It's perhaps still some of the best work we've done, if not the best work we've done. So please enjoy that playlist and enjoy all of our Halloween playlists and all of our horror work. We've done too much of it. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. Okay. In general, we've done too much horror. We've gone off brand, but we've done so marvelously, and we've had a lot of fun doing it. So all our horror stuff is there. The Scaries is coming. We're coming back to horror with a few other planned episodes, maybe with some guests. Maybe another rewatch is impending upon people throughout this Oscar season of another slasher franchise that we can't resist doing, perhaps. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. So again, I don't want to house. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Uh, Yeah, we're gonna rewatch the scary movies, and we're gonna do a scary movie rewatch. Yeah, all right. I'll just say it. (laughs) Scary movie six. Yeah, we should do the uh, the scary movie franchise too. The scary movie franchise, though. Uh, We're we're thinking about a scream we rewatch, and we're thinking about uh, tackling that monthly. We'll see what we come up with, but yeah, we're gonna. We're going to do that next night. We have to pitch it now, right? Because we're doing the Halloween Mm -hmm. topper. So, yeah, we're going to do the Scream series. We have to. We must. It's going to be fun. And we're going to probably do an episode relatively soon, whether it's the end of this month or next month. Like I said, the scaries for your October 31st, our annual horror movie award show that also looks back and does a full genre. And we have fun with that every year. Mike, Mike, and Oscars, the scaries, an annual tradition that you have to embark upon with us. And then we got big movies in a murderer's row of big movies still coming out. Dune is one of those such movies that I've already seen and like to a degree that I know you will hate that we have to have an episode on. (laughs) We have Oscar race checkpoints that we still have to do. We got to talk about the Batman trailer. We got to talk about the Disney awards. Uh, or the Disney slate getting moved. We've got a ton of news to uh, discuss like we always do every week. So a lot more MMO coming soon, coming fast and furious this fall. We also never stop coming, just like Michael Myers, just walking (laughs) through the streets. Uh, All of what we said in this episode could be reinterpreted (laughs) sexually, and it doesn't look good for us. By the way, oh man, speak for yourself. Uh, when reality sucks, you can come walk Haddonfield streets with us, man. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See ya.